Well, good morning, and uh, man, as you're making your way back to your seats, I just want to say that it has been an honor to be here this this weekend with our Amplify weekend, and and so thank you, church, for for really investing in next generation, even even if uh, it ain't your cup of tea, right? Uh, and it's, it's okay because we're, we're praising Jesus who is worthy of all of our praise, right? That's what he desires is our praise. So um, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to Haggai chapter 1? Haggai, the book of Haggai. I know that's not a common book to be preached out of. Uh, if you're having trouble, the table of contents is in your Bible, so find it there. In my Bible, it's, uh, it's page 791, so if that helps you. All right, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That's towards the end of the Old Testament. That's where we'll be this morning. I, uh, I just want to say, uh, church, that we, we have, Ryan mentioned it, me and Ryan go, go back quite a ways, and his family has meant so much in my life. And uh, we could spend all day talking about Ryan, right? I'm sure you guys have stories. I have tons of stories. So if you want to know stuff about Ryan, let's talk. I got him. I've got ammunition, right? Uh, he, uh, I knew him when he had hair. And uh, believe it or not, he was goofier looking then than he is now. So, um, I, no, Ryan, uh, in, in, when I was in high school, uh, he used to, which I don't really know looking back why my parents let him do this, but in the mornings, our school, our high school started at 7 o'clock, and I lived 30 minutes from our campus, so had to leave by about 6.15 every morning, which was terrible. Um, so it was a struggle for me to get out of bed. So my, my mom would recruit Ryan to come wake me up in the mornings, and he would come, and the way he would do that was not just, hey, Josh, I'm nice, I get up, time to go to school. He would, he would fish hook me and rip me out of bed. If you don't know what a fish hook is, that's when somebody sticks their finger in the side of your mouth and rips your face off, right? I have scars on the inside of my mouth from his nasty fingernails. and uh, So that's what he would rip me out of bed to, to get me to come. So uh, I don't know. I, I love Ryan and uh, have uh, a lot of respect for him and a lot of love for, for you guys because we love him. And, and I get the opportunity to be in some churches often, and I don't know too many pastors, very many more pastors that love their church more than Ryan loves you guys. And so Ryan talks about you often. We, we uh, talk, text often, and he's always talking about how, how cool and something neat that church is doing. And so uh, thank you for loving him because he loves you. So try to be nice to him. I know that's difficult, but uh, be nice to Ryan and Debbie and the girls. And so this weekend we've, uh, we've been talking about, which we'll continue to talk about this morning, this idea of exchange. This idea of exchanging something for something else, right? Uh, which this idea of exchange is all around us, if you think about it. Um, uh, plants, right? They take in carbon dioxide. They exchange oxygen. We receive oxygen, we hope, and put out carbon dioxide, right? There's an exchange there. Uh, when your aunt, who you only see once a year, gives you that ugly sweater for Christmas, what do you go do? You go to the store and exchange it for something better because it doesn't fit, right? Or you just don't like it. And uh, when you buy something, that's an exchange because you're 
you're, you're giving money in exchange for a product or a service. So this, this idea of exchange is, is, is all around us. And this weekend we've been talking about that because God has a lot of exchanges that he writes about in Scripture. Friday night we looked at this idea of exchanging death for life, which is the gospel that God exchanged the life and the death of Jesus for our life, right? It says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. So we looked at Saturday morning, we looked at this idea of exchanging our self and our pride and our selfish ambitions for Christ, right? Um, that's, that's the call of God in our life, to pursue him above ourself. And then last night, we looked at this idea of exchanging our shame and our guilt that we carry around with us for the freedom in, in Christ, the, the joy that is found in relationship with him, right? Because God, God died for our shame and our, our guilt. Well, the things that we do, we don't have to carry those with us. There's freedom and there's forgiveness in that exchange. And so this morning, we're going to continue that theme. So I've titled this message, uh, Exchanging Comfort for Calling. Exchanging Comfort for Calling. And uh, really want to look at what is, it, what is it that God has called us to as a church? And when I say church, I'm talking not about a building, not about a single congregation. I'm talking about the people of God. What is it that God has called us to? What is it that God has uh, uh, put us in position for? And so we're going to take a look at that, this idea of exchanging comfort for calling from the book of Haggai. Now, I want to give you just for a couple minutes some context of the book of Haggai. I just don't want to jump in because it won't make much sense. But if you know the, the context of when this letter, when this book was written and what it's talking about, it all makes sense. So in, in just bear with me about this, some of this history stuff. I'm a history major, so I, I actually love this stuff. And uh, in 586 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was, was conquered by the Babylonians. And so the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Uh, took all the Jews and took them out of Jerusalem. You, couldn't, you could not live there. So they, they shipped them off and they exiled them about 900 miles away. They said, you can't, you can't worship God. You have to stay here. You can't go back to the, to the temple. And in fact, the Babylonians destroyed the temple there in Jerusalem, the temple that Solomon built. In all of its splendor, they destroyed it. So it was left, they burned it. There was nothing left of the temple. And for 50 years, for 50 years, the people of God stayed in exile, could not worship God as they, as they pleased. But then God intervened. God allowed the Persians, a wicked king, right? God uses the craziest things to accomplish his will. God, it, it, doesn't, it blows our mind. God used a wicked king in the Persian, Persians to, to go conquer the Babylonians. And in turn, they set the, the people of God free. They said, you can live wherever you want. You can worship however you want. And so the people of Israel, the people of God, were able to come back to Jerusalem, to come back home. 50,000 50, of them came back. Some of them stayed. You can read about those who stayed in the book of Esther. Right, that's what it's talking about, those who stayed under Persian control. That's, that's the context of Esther. But 50,000 of them came back to Jerusalem to find that the temple, the city, had been destroyed. And so just a couple other books in the Bible speak to this theme. Um, Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai is where we'll be today. Haggai and Zechariah. 
both talk about the building of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra focuses on the rebuilding of the people, how God has instructed the people to grow. And Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, it focuses on the rebuilding of the city and the wall around Jerusalem. So all these books were written about the same time and around the same theme. So you see in the Old Testament, the, the people of God, the, the, the city of God, and the temple of God being rebuilt, being put back together. That's what we see in those books in the Old Testament. So when God released the people of Israel from bondage, from slavery, from exile... To go back home to Jerusalem, he instructed them, you can read it in Zechariah, to, to rebuild the temple. To rebuild the temple so that he could receive glory, so that he could dwell with them. They were instructed to do that. So when they get back to Jerusalem, they began building the temple. They began to do what God's called them to do. But yet, it gets hard. Persecution comes. Read about it in Ezra. Persecution comes from the Samaritans, and, and life gets hard. It's tough. So they, so they stop building the temple. They stop building that, and then they, they just live. They just exist. They just work and, and live like however they want. And so for 15 years, after they had been released from exile to go back home, for 15 years, they've not been doing what God told them to do, and now God sends Haggai, his prophet, in to give a word to the people of God, to the church. And so um, that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 1 of Haggai. And I, uh, before I read this, I just want to pray. I always want to pray before reading scripture that, that God would enlighten his word to our hearts. So would you pray with me? Father, we, we love you. God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. We ask that you would make your word clear to us. I know sometimes some things don't make sense. God, I just pray that you would speak to us clearly. God, you would illuminate your word and impress the calling of, um, of God in our life today so that we can, man, I pray that we look more like you as a result of our time together today. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this theme of exchanging comfort for calling. In order for us as the people of God, as the church, to exchange comfort for calling, we've got to look at three themes. Three things I think we're going to find from this passage. One of those is found in the first few verses. First, I want us to look at the, the condition of the church. The condition of the church. The, the condition in which the church, the people of God, are in. And I think you'll find that it is a similar condition in uh, which the church is in our day today. So let's read this, starting in verse 1 in Haggai chapter 1. It says this, In the second year of Darius the king, so Darius is Cyrus's son. Cyrus is the king of Persia who conquered the Babylonians and told the exiles to go home. Cyrus has now died, and Darius is in charge. And so in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And it said this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people, 
say the time has not yet come to rebuild excuse me these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord and then verse 3 then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai again and he said in verse 4 is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now, uh, let's stop there. I just want us to see the condition of the people of God, the condition of the church. What you have in verse 2 is, is God's perspective of the excuse that people were using to not do what God's called them to do. He's saying, you tell me that the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The, the, it's too hard, right? We talked about the persecution coming from the Samaritans. They, they felt since the persecution was so tough, that God wouldn't put them through that. So the time hasn't come yet for us to really rebuild the temple. So I'm just going to stop doing that because it's kind of hard. right? That's what, that's what the people are doing. So that God's saying, you're telling me it's not time for you to do what I've called you to do, but it is time, verse 4. And I just encourage you, if you underline your Bible, that word time in verse 2 and verse 4, just underline that, sir, that whatever. Like, so God's saying, it's not time, you're telling me it's not time to do what I've called you to do, but it is time for you to do whatever you want to do. That's what God, and here's the reality, church, that uh, I think we live in a day in our American Christian culture, American churches, where this is true of most of our churches, most of the people of God, that we say, yeah, the, the calling of my life, what you've told me to do sounds good, but it's really hard. It's tough. So I'm just going to wait till I graduate high school. And then I'll do that. Or I'm just going to wait till I get married or, or have the perfect family or, or maybe I'll, I'll wait to do God's will for my life when I get that promotion, when I save up enough money, when, when I retire. I'm telling you, there's always going to be time for you <laughs> because we make time for what's important for ourselves. And so the condition of the church is, man, they're not doing, they're not living in the way that God has called them to live. Now, in verse 4, God says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? That, that's key, because what, he, what he's saying is, so you're telling me it's time for you just to, he's not just saying just to live in your houses, he's talking about paneled houses. Now, if you, if you go to Jerusalem today, I was there a few years ago, there's not many trees around to make this paneling happen. And so what God is saying is, you've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of resource to, to go up to Jordan, up to the mountains, up to the hills to find this wood to make your paneled houses, to make your houses look good, to invest in your kingdom. And so here's the condition. Here's, here's the problem. The problem for the people of God in this day, and I believe the problem for the people of God in our day, is not wealth. It's not money. It's not because we're not doing God's will because we don't have enough money. It's, it's not time. We have all the time in the world, except we busy ourselves with things that we want. It's not resources. The problem is priority. 
The problem is what we've focused on. And for them, man, they had the time, they had the wealth, they had the resources to build God's temple, to do what God had called them to do. And so do we. So do we. We have the same opportunity to do what God's called us to do, to see the kingdom of God advance in our day. However, many in the church are so focused and prioritized on themselves and their own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And, 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 and Jesus would say in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then these things, what you wear, what you, what you need, what you eat, will be added to you. Then I will take care of you. Trust me. But seek first the kingdom of God. The problem is that many in the church have prioritized themselves rather than Christ. So it's a heart issue. It's a, it's a heart issue. So the problem is not what we do. The problem is who our heart is bent towards. So the condition of the church. I, man, uh, in our town, I, I live just outside of Memphis in, in Bartlett, Tennessee. serve at Faith Baptist Church. I'm the missions pastor there. And uh, Memphis is a, a, a rough town, man. One of the highest crime rates, violent crime rates in the, in the country. And uh, there's parts of the city that, honestly, you don't go to after dark, right? You just kind of stay away from. One of those places, one of those communities is what we call Nutbush, is North Memphis. It's also called Little Mexico. It's the fastest growing Hispanic neighborhood in, in the city, and uh, there's a lot of these little old-fashioned churches that are in this community. One of those is, uh, is, is there right in the middle of this community, and man, it has essentially died. It, it had, uh, about six months ago, the pastor called me and said, hey, man, we, uh, we, can't, we can't meet in this location anymore. We've and we tried, to, we tried to do things. We tried to, uh, we uh, blocked out our windows, right, so people wouldn't mess with us. Right, we tried, to, we tried to still do what God called us to do. We tried to, uh, all these um, people from outside the city would drive in to have church and then go back outside the city. Right, that's what they tried to do, and, th and they were dying. And so we as a church, we stepped in, and, and we said, man, we'll, We'll do something. So we bought the building. We bought the grounds. We bought the facility. And, and what did we do? It's not about Faith Baptist Church, or it's not about the chapel. It's about the kingdom of God. So we have, we have planted a, a Hispanic church, novel idea, in a Hispanic neighborhood, right? Instead of a white church, man, it died. Because the people were so focused, they, they, they wouldn't think beyond themselves. So... It literally died and it ceased to exist and that, that church no longer exists on the record, right? And so now we have, we have planted a Hispanic church with a Hispanic pastor and since January 1, that church began of this year began to meet there and they've seen 10 people saved and baptized in that community because, because we've seen the importance of, man, it's, it's not about our church, not bringing people to, 
to the chapel. It's not bringing people to that church. It's, it's investing in the neighborhood. It's expanding the kingdom of God where we live. That's the priority. That must be the focus of the church. But too many times, our priority is all about me. Our priority is all about us. And I want to do what's best for me. And that's not the gospel. That's not what God saved us to. God saved us to invest in the kingdom of God. But too many times in our churches today, we're so focused on our kingdom above God's kingdom. And then, then the story goes on. Haggai continues to write. In verse 5, he, he says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord, Consider your ways. So see how this has worked out for you. That's what he says. And so not only are we looking at to, to exchange comfort for calling, must, must we see the, the condition of the church, the condition of the people of God, but we must also notice the consequences for the people of God. When we prioritize ourselves over God's calling on our life, what are the consequences? How has it worked out for you? This is what God says in verse 5. Now, therefore... Consider your ways. How has it worked out for you? In verse 6, you've sown much and harvested little. You've worked really hard for yourself, but what do you have to show for it? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so, does so to put them into a bag with holes. You've sought yourself, you've sought food for yourself, you've sought money, but yet there's never enough, right? Because here's the reality, there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you apart from Jesus. Because all of it, the food, and I, I am a lover of food, right? It will leave you hungry, it won't satisfy your relationships, your family, your careers, your sports teams, your grades. If you find satisfaction in those things, they will all leave you dry and empty and famished and hungry and thirsty and put money into a bag that, with holes. doesn't make sense. So God says, how has that worked out for you? Not very good is the answer. That's what we find here. How has it worked out for you? Then he goes, you can skip down a couple of verses, and then verse uh, 9, he continues this theme. He says, you, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. Right? And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord? Because my house that lies in ruins. Because you haven't done what I've told you to do. You've busied yourself with your own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. There is consequences for prioritizing ourselves over the kingdom of God. I mean, we, we understand consequences in our day. I have, I've, I've, my wife Erin, we've been married five and a half years. We have a little boy who's uh, almost two, he's 20 months old, which I don't really know when you stop saying how many months he is. So I'm just going to try to figure that. I think I'm like 300 and something months old. Um, I, I just made that up, I have no idea. Um, but Webb, he's 20 months old, almost two, and he's, 
He's in his twos for sure. He's hit them, right? We have another little boy um, on the way. He's due in July. His name will be Henry. So we're excited to have Webb and Henry running around our house and uh, running our house. And uh, But Webb, man, he, he is just a, a troublemaker, right? He's all boy. And he loves an outlet, like a wall outlet, right, you know? Like it'll kill him, right? But he loves it. He is fascinated. Luckily, we live in this house that you have to, I can't even stick anything in the outlet because you have to stick it and like twist it and go over it. I can't figure it out, so I think he's okay, I hope. Um, but he loves an outlet, so we have to always tell him, Webb, stop, don't touch that. Stop unplugging the lamp, right? You're going to die, right? And so I don't want you to die. And uh, there's the other day, Webb, uh, I was doing something, and I saw him go up the outlet, and he's just staring at it. Isn't that, isn't that us? Like, we, we want something, we just, he's just salivating, right, over the outlet. He wants to touch it or whatever. And he's, he's looking at it, and I say, I see him, I say, Webb, don't you touch that outlet. And he looks back at me. He looks back at the outlet. He looks back at me. I said, Webb, well, I'll pop that hand. Right? What does he do? He looks at me and touches the outlet. <laughs> right? And so there's, there's consequences for that. Right? He's got to get his hand popped. And then he goes and we, he cries and we put him in his crib and wait till he's done and then we get him out. I don't, I'm, that's parenting for us. So uh, probably should take a parenting class. But well, there's some that you can sign up for I saw on the wall. So uh, don't take your parenting from me. Sign up for those classes. So, uh, but anyways, there, there's consequences for what we do and what we don't do. And I'm telling you, church, we are, uh, as a, an American Christian culture, suffering the consequences of our, of our prioritizing ourselves over the kingdom of God, right? We are in a mess in our country. And it's not because uh, uh, of the government. It's not because of somebody who got elected or didn't get elected. It's, it's because the church has failed to prioritize the kingdom of God that we are in the mess we're in. And our only hope for our country, for our community, is not a school system, is not an education system, it's not a tax reform. It's, it's the church of God doing what God has called us to do, which is expanding the kingdom of God. Prioritizing Jesus above our own life. So we're in the mess we're in because we care more about us than God and his kingdom. So there's consequences, and we see those in Haggai chapter 1. But then I want to notice in these couple verses, not only for us to exchange comfort for calling, we must know and understand the condition that we're in, we must also understand the consequences of, for the church. And then we must see what is the call to the church. What is, what is the call to the church? In Colossians chapter 1, um, Paul would write to believers and he'd say this. In Colossians 1 verse 9 and 10, he says, I, I pray that you are filled with the knowledge of God's will. You're filled with the knowledge of his will. And this is it. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I worked with in college ministry for four years, and, and the big question was, what's God's will for my life? That's it, man. 
to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And the question would always come, well, yeah, but how do I know if it pleases the Lord? Well, I asked, what pleases the Lord? You can look in Luke chapter 3, I think it's verse 22. When Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, he goes and he's baptized, and John the Baptist raises him up out of the water. And there's a voice from heaven in Luke chapter 3 that says, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So what pleases God? Jesus. And so how is God going to be pleased by our life? By us walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? By us living a life that looks like Jesus' life? And Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God while he was on this earth than anything else. And so he knew that his priority was the kingdom of God. He said in the garden in the night that he was betrayed, Never take this cup, let this cup pass from me. This is hard. But he said this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because it's all about God's will. So here's the reality. Is, is, is your life focused and prioritized on your kingdom or on God's kingdom? That's the call of the church, and that's what we find here. And look in verse 7 and 8. There's a couple of verses we skipped. So what's the call to the people of God in this day? He says in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, consider your ways. Verse 8, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, build my house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So what is God saying? He's saying, go to the same place, go to the same place, those hills, that you went to build into your kingdom and now build it into mine. Take that same energy and take that same time and take those same resources that you spent on yourself and spend them on my kingdom. That's what God says. He says, then I will take pleasure in it. And ultimately, man, this is an act of repentance for the people. Because I told you that the problem is not our resources and our time and our energy. The problem is a heart issue. It's our priorities. It's our heart that's bent towards ourself rather than God. And so what do the people do? I'm not going to read the whole rest of the chapter, but what do the people in this story do? God says, do this, go up to the hills, bring wood and build my house, that I may take pleasure in it. And what do they do? In verse 12, it says that they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And then it says, and the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. And so the question for us is, what are we going to do? Our story is still being written. Are we going to obey? Are we going to be a people who fear God? Look, look. their first act of obedience had nothing to do with their hands. This isn't, this isn't hey, work harder. This is reorient your life. They began to fear the Lord. That's a heart issue. And so for us to, 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 to fulfill the calling that God has on our life, it's not to do more things. It's, it's to love Jesus more fully. It's to embrace his kingdom above our own. It's, it's a hard thing. It's to reorient our life back to Jesus. Again, it wasn't their wealth, their time, 
Their, dis- their discipline that was the problem, it was the heart that was bent towards themselves rather than to God. And look then in verse 13 and 14. It says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. The moment our heart turns in its affections for God, He is with us. Just like yesterday morning, students, when we talked about the peril of the prodigal son, when that son turned to go home, his father was waiting for him. His father was already there and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's the father that we serve. And then verse 14, it says, And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So here's the deal. They, their, their first act of obedience had nothing to do with their hands. It was a heart issue. They obeyed. They feared the Lord. They understood that God was with them. And then they worked. Then they came and worked on the house of God. True heart change always leads to hands that follow. When, when we reorient and reprioritize our life on God's kingdom and, and Jesus, the, the, the work just comes. The hands just do. I'm going to make disciples because God has made me a disciple. I'm going to bring the gospel to my workplace, to my school, because the gospel has been brought to me. Man, the problem, in, another problem in the church is, man, There's apathy that runs rampant in our churches. Apathy is a lack of concern for, is I don't care. I mean, we see it in our church in Memphis, so many people that just just don't care. I'm just going to do me. I'm just going to be the best me. And that's not what God has called us to. God has called us to invest in his kingdom. So I ask you the question of, Do you care? Do you care that we live in a lost and dying world? Do you care about that person at your workplace in the cubicle next to you? Do you you care about them that without Christ they will live eternally separated from Him? Do you care that in, in your hallways as you walk down your classes at school that there are people on your sports teams that are lost and are rebels and in need of Jesus. Do you care? The problem is many of us don't. And so we don't prioritize the kingdom of God. We prioritize the kingdom of Josh, the kingdom of fill in the blank. So as we think back to this story, just briefly as we wrap up, the people of God, listen, they pursued themselves, which led to captivity, which led to exile which led to bondage. Then they were freed. They were released. God redeems them. God sets them free and gives them work to do, to prioritize the kingdom rather than their own. That is the gospel. It's it's clear, right? We were in bondage because of our sin, because we prioritized ourselves, because we care about us and we are sinners from, from the very beginning because of the sin of Adam passed down through all men. We were sinners. We're in bondage to slavery. We're rebels, right? But God, 
Romans 5, they demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has made a way to redeem us, to save us, to free us, so we don't have to live in exile, in bondage anymore. And he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Go make disciples of all nations. That's what he's called us to. That's the gospel. But so many of us think that we can pray a prayer at one time in our life, and then we're good. I just focus on me. That's not the gospel. That's not the scripture that I read. God says, man, there's this idea of sanctification, that God is making me who he desires, designed me to be. So that's the gospel, that we were in bondage, we were enslaved, we were destined for eternal separation, but God made a way for us. And in Colossians 1.13, it says, that God has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. Not so that we pursue ourselves and our kingdom, but Christ and his kingdom. So I ask you the question, where are you? Where are you in this life? Are you, are you, are you living for yourself or are you trying to expand God's kingdom. And listen, I believe this, that that God has not called anybody to go to everyone everywhere. But he's called all of us to go to somebody somewhere. And so who is that somebody for you? Who is that somewhere? Where is that somewhere for you? Is it at school? Is it at work? Is it in your home? There's people that need the gospel. There's people that need Jesus. And it's our job, it's our role to give them Jesus because he is the only thing that can satisfy our very souls. So I ask that you bow with me as we come to a time of reflection, of invitation. The band's going to come up. We're going to do one more song. and Man, it's such a good song. Worthy, worthy. And why do we talk about this? Why, why do we seek to expand the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is worthy. Because he receives praise when sinners come from death to life. And he is worthy of that praise. That's what we're going to sing about. And so, I don't know where you are in this room, but if you're in here, man, and, and, and you, this stuff is foreign to you, and you, you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with him. I'm going to ask that after we, as we stand and as we sing, if, if you need to make that commitment, man, come talk to one of the pastors who will be down front. Ryan will be down here. Maybe, maybe you just need, as all, man, again, I don't know exactly how your invitation runs all the time, but, man, this altar, the front of this stage is open for you that, man, maybe you have been focusing on yourself. And maybe this invitation, this time of reflection is, is, is just a confession for you. God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me for focusing on myself rather than on your kingdom. So I don't, I don't know, wherever you found yourself. Maybe you need one of these pastors to, to pray over you. I know they'd love to do that. Maybe you're just struggling with some things in your life. Maybe you have questions that need answered. Whatever it is. And have freedom in this place to sit 
to stand, to sing, to come, to pray, whatever it is. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing. Father, we love you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it is in my life. Father, I ask for forgiveness in my life for prioritizing myself over you. And God, I pray for the chapel. God, that they would be a church, they would be a people that we hear of in Memphis that is flipping the world upside down because they're focused more on the kingdom, more on outside of these walls than inside of these walls, than what they want, than their preferences. So God, may you move in this room today, have complete freedom. May your spirit speak to us even during this last song. Father, we are thankful to have salvation, to have Jesus today. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing this morning?
trumpet sound You'll lead us home Riding on the clouds Where we the students come in here and all of us to worship together and you know students specifically for you for a moment this this weekend we've been talking about the exchange and this great exchange and this doesn't stop here what what God has been doing and is doing he wants to continue to do in you and, and through you as you go back out into your schools where you walk the halls with thousands of other high school and middle school students who, who are dead in their sin, who, who need to know this hope that there is one who exchanged his life for theirs. And it doesn't stop with students. The challenges for, for those young or old in this room is, is what are we living for? Does it grieve us when we see our coworkers who don't know him? Does it break us because they don't have life that is only found in Christ? Are we living in our comfort? Are we willing to respond to what God is calling us? I love how Josh said that, that God isn't calling all of us, any of us, to reach everybody everywhere. But He is calling all of us to reach somebody somewhere. And so who is your somebody somewhere? And are we going to respond to this? And are we going to step out and say, Jesus, you are worthy that I'm not going to live in fear of rejection, a fear of being hurt, but, but I will lay it all down because you have laid it all down for me. My life, all of me, is yours. Pastor Ryan's going to come up and, and close us in prayer. Well, it's been a great weekend, and let's thank again BBC and Josh for the word today, leading us in worship. Thank you, guys. Just want to say before I pray, one, that, that every one of us in this room, young and old, 
each of us were created in the image of God to live out his ways in this world. Every one of us, but all of us are the same. And as we have rebelled against God and we have said, God, I'm going to live my life my own way. I'm not going to live it your way. And because of that, because of our sin, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to die the death we deserved, to take the judgment that was ours. And he did so willfully on the cross that we might have life. It says in scripture that when we repent of our sins and turn in faith to Jesus, that we can be made new, that we can be in right standing with God again. See, that's not the end of the story. There's more. And the more is that now in this life, he can move us back into the ways he made us, into his intended ways of bringing love through the gospel, that others might know our Savior by bringing justice, by bringing mercy, by bringing kindness, by being the people he made us to be, no longer living in rebellion, but living in his ways. So I hope as we go, wherever you find yourself, that we would all together, I've been reminded this morning, bow down to the King of Kings and live for his kingdom and his glory all of our days. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it from beginning to end. Lord, we believe, we believe that Jesus, you came we believe that you took the judgment that was ours. You took the punishment that was ours willfully that we might be free. That you provided a way for us to be restored back to our God, our Creator. And so Lord, would you help us today to live in your ways, to glorify you with our lives to the fullest. And so, Lord, I pray that as we go today, from young to old, that you would link us arm in arm together for your good purposes this week. That you would shine your face on each and every person here, that you would rest your hand on them, and you'd use us for your great purposes. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.